Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. For those that are joining us, we've been in Ephesians for seven-ish months, um, going through verse by verse. We pick up, and this is really a second half of um, the epistle, if you will. So you're joining us at a good time. But verse 1, I want to just read on down to 16. We certainly will not make it there this morning. But therefore, I, this is Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just, also, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, but to each One of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Just to set the theme and the tone for the next two or three months, we start with one word in chapter verse four, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Paul spent three chapters spelling out in glorious detail all that God did for us. In chapter one, looking at what God did directly for us, the Father did for us, and then he talked about what Jesus, the Christ, the man did for us, and then he talks about what the Holy Spirit did for us. Freely by His grace, not because we deserved it, but because God Himself graced us with His very blessings. And now we come to a transition, if you will, where there is a call to live rightly. But I want to point out very clearly that this is only after what God, after Paul explains what God has done for us. He says, so this is therefore is a shift. We've talked about being a prisoner of the Lord. He says, I implore you to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called, or I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called. Do you know, we aren't to walk worthy so that God will love us. But because God loves us, we ought to walk worthy. And it's this perspective with which we must serve the Father. See, so many people have this idea that, well, if I just do a little better for God, 
I'm going to be one of his chosen ones. If I just give him my all, he'll give me a bigger ministry or use me in a better way. See, it's not about you getting your life together to impress God. It's God loved you first and foremost. So in that tone, in that understanding, God says, I want you to now walk with the name that you're worthy Walk with that name which I've given you under the name of my son, Jesus Christ, far above all power and ruler and authorities. He says, I want you to be seated in the high places, but right now you're carrying your head down low. Why are you walking in that way? Didn't I just explain all these things that God has done for us? Now walk worthy. Do you know, if you're in Christ, you were redeemed, you were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. We serve a master now, not in chains of bondage, but because he set us free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. It wasn't because of slavery that he set you free. You say, oh, this is such a terrible concept. Oh, our, our 1700s founding fathers. Oh, such a terrible thing. Good thing that we don't do that anymore. That's not why he set you free. Sure, it's terrible. The slavery, the connotation we have in this nation. But, but Jesus is saying that I've set you free for freedom. The freedom that you would have in me. It's not because it was bad. It's because I want you to walk freely in the grace that I have given. It's a change of your understanding. We do not serve God in slavery Rather, we serve him because he set us free. It makes me think of the laws that were found in Deuteronomy and in Exodus chapter 21. Actually, if you want to turn there, we'll take a little bit of time this morning to do this. Exodus 21, this is what came to my mind as I was preparing a couple of weeks ago. It's the second book in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 21, here's some ordinances. Again, you can find this also in Deuteronomy. Chapter 15, I believe. I'm going to start in verse 1 just for context. It says, Now these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. This is God talking to him. He said, If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. Now here's, the God's, here's God's perspective of slavery, that word with such terrible connotation in our, in our nation. Slavery was not always what we think of it here in this country. Okay? You had to serve, you had to purchase somebody, most oftentimes a better translation would really be like an indentured servant, somebody who could not pay their debt and they would be put into service for six years and after that seventh year, there would be a releasing of them. This would happen for seven sets of seven and on the 49th year and into the 50th year, it was called the year of Jubilee. Everything was returned back to the rightful owners. Okay? It says in verse three, if he comes along alone, he shall go out alone. If he is a husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But if the sla slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. He shall serve him permanently. I did quite a bit of study on this and there's a beautiful analogy and teaching here about why the doorpost is involved and why the ear is pierced and it's the right ear and why all of this is, is done and there's this beautiful teaching that I'm gonna save for another day because it really does not fit into the context of Ephesians too closely but I did all that work so I gotta use it. 
So we're going to save it. <laughs> There's a term for this in modern English. It's called manumission. It's when a slave master turns a slave free for one reason or another. We actually have records of this happening all throughout history. In fact, we have extra biblical accounts of this happening 400 years before Christ was even born when Greece was ruling the a region Later on in Roman culture, this is when Paul is writing. You can fast forward to that. I have just a Wikipedia definition about manumission. It says, a freed slave customarily took the former owner's family's name, which was the nomen of the master's gens. What's a gen, you ask? Well, gen as in generation or genealogy. It's a family consisting of individuals who claim descent from a common ancestor. Let's see, when the master sets us free under Roman culture, you would take on the name of the master. You getting it? There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He has come into the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him to him, he gave the right to become children of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit himself testifies with ourselves that we are God's children. You are the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what will we will be has not yet been revealed. The creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. From one common ancestor, Yahweh God, in Christ Jesus, we share that name that we don't deserve carrying. See, we're in Abraham because we're in Christ Jesus. We have that common surname with God through Jesus Christ. We are called with that irrevocable calling, Romans chapter eleven twenty nine, 29, to bear the name of the Father. Yahweh God wants you to walk boldly as his son and declare his name over the world. How many of you just start to imagine your, your kind of celebrity, oh, if I was only the child of that person, how cool I would have been in high school, middle school, right? I don't know. For me, it was probably Cal Ripken. I love being a Willoughby. Willoughbys are the greatest. I mean, we are. Everyone wanted to be, everyone I knew growing up wanted to be a Willoughby. We were the house. We're going to the Willoughbys. We even had the Willoughbys. You know what I mean? We were that house. But oh, to be a Ripken, I don't know. That'd be a tough one. Cal Ripken, arguably the, the best. He's, he was the greatest. How proud would you be to carry your last name, whatever it be, Dunn, Marshall? How about a child of God? God says, I want you to boldly wear this as a placard. You're my ambassador to the world carrying my name. You, you should look like my son. I want you to look like him. I want you to act like him. I want you to talk like him. I want you to pray like him, teach like him, heal like him. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You bear the name of the Father. How do we walk worthy? Well, let's just hang there for a moment. As I said, if you're familiar with Ephesians, there's kind of can be divided into two halves, each with these three chapters. These first three chapters are doctrines, statements of truth about God and the gospel and people. There's almost no commands and exhortations in the first three chapters for living. These next three chapters of which we're getting into now 
are filled with commands and exhortations, guidelines, how to live as Christ followers. Now, why don't we get all of these commands first? And I believe there's a point here that we can hopefully glean something from. Why not commands to love our wives and be patient with our children and our kids and, and guard our speech and you know, spiritual battles and all this stuff that we're going to get into before we're taught about what God does for us? And I believe it's this. It's because the gospel should order our lives. We get good news first. We get the good news of what God has done for us in Christ to reconcile us to himself. And it's, it's this, in the same order, we need to understand and let the truth of what we are in Christ Jesus fill our spirit, man, before we can begin to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. See, if we don't, then we're out of order. This call to walk worthy doesn't mean that we need to prove our worth to God each and every day. Trying to live like that will certainly crush you. There's so many people, just like, you know, the, you think of the Pharisees, how many laws they added. They just tried to, you know, flex on all those spiritually ignorant. Look at me. I washed my hands seven times this morning just, bec- just because I could. I want you to know that I memorized all of Exodus and Leviticus this morning just because I'm a Pharisee. Yeah, I didn't actually memorize Leviticus. (laughs) Or Exodus. (laughs) Fine. Fine. You know, we are citizens of a different kingdom. And we need to rightly order our lives by recognizing that we walk worthy because of all that God called us out of, out of that darkness into the marvelous light. And it's this perspective which we must have. In other words, we live from an identity, not for one. He calls you into an identity. He says, now, now this, is, this is a tricky part, and we could spend weeks, months here, really, talking about the identity that we have in Christ Jesus. I think so many Christians don't fully understand that our identity in Christ, but you need to, un- if we can just real quick glean, just, just, you're writing down something, this is a good one. You live out your identity. You don't live for one. See, God's already given you the identity. Those things that you don't want to do, you no longer do. Those things that you should be doing, you aren't doing. He says, I've already given you the identity. Why are you still talking about those things? The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. See, we are not to live up to the gospel, but rather to live out of the gospel. It's an incredibly important distinction. And let me say it again this way. Paul's trying to convey, here's the standard. Now live up to it. He's not saying, here's the standard, now live up to it. Paul is, excuse me, Paul's trying to convey, live out of this standard. Here's a standard that was given to you. Now I want you to walk it out. Walk it out. I have enabled you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when this is our understanding, it doesn't matter what Paul writes next as far as commands. It doesn't matter if there's, there's, there's this awkward command about wives and husbands. It doesn't matter if there's this slaves and master awkward verse that we're going to get to and children obeying their, their parents because we get to be some sort of dictator and all this kind of weird stuff that we're going to come to, right? It doesn't really matter because God has already given us the Holy Spirit to walk it out. So even if it looks on paper impossible, how can we do these things? What do they rightly mean? Understand that he's already given you your identity. He's already empowered you, equipped you to do that with the Holy Spirit. 
You're not walking it out by your own strength. You've already been strengthened with the Holy Spirit. We must have the gospel in us before we can look like Christ. Whatever the call to righteous living is, I want you to understand as believers that we have the ability to walk it out. You can say, for fear, for sin, whatever your specific struggle is, Jesus died for blank, the Spirit has indwelt me. For blank, the power of God is available to me. For blank, I am equipped to walk worthy. It doesn't matter what you fill in the blank. You won't be alone because God has already equipped you for that. Now, he never promises that it's going to be easy, but you can walk forward with courage and confidence because you know that Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. He is in you. And that's the grace. There's grace for your struggle. Paul kept asking, remove this thorn from my flesh. My grace is sufficient for you. All right? So we order our lives first by setting the gospel before us, by soaking our hearts and minds in heavenly citizenship, and by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing in him, dwelling in him, and allowing the Holy Spirit to take hold of us. And once we have this order right, we can then begin to walk forward. And that's what, again, I'm really spending time on this because I want you to understand this is where we're going to be for the next year, however long we're here. I don't know why you guys keep laughing. That's not even a joke anymore. (laughs) It's it's just reality. We have to have all this basic understanding. I'm just laying the foundation for the next three chapters is really why I'm spending time on this. We walk in these good works that God has prepared before us beforehand, Ephesians chapter 2. And so we throw ourselves into obeying all the commands and exhortations given to us in the Bible because of all the things that he's done for us, not because we're trying to earn something with him. He says, Walk of the calling with which you have been called. Now, there's a few different callings of God, just to look at the next word. There's calls of ministry. There's calls of service. There's calls of salvation. There's calls of maturity. And I believe it's these latter two that are in mind here, salvation and sanctification. Walk in that calling of salvation and sanctification, looking more like Christ. See, the call of salvation involves conforming to the image of the Son and His election and call on our life to salvation were foreknown to Him and they were a part of His eternal plan. It says in Romans chapter 8, those He predestined, He also called, and those He called, He also justified, and those He justified, He also glorified. He had this plan on your life and He put you into all the right areas so that you could make the right decisions and and you would end up following Him. He knew beforehand, His foreknowledge, that you were going to choose Him. And he made a way for that to be possible. Okay? Now, after salvation, he's also given you the Holy Spirit that you could live and look like Jesus Christ. And so we're further called to grow in this Christian virtue. And there's this calling on your life to rid yourself of all your sins, to crucify the flesh, to begin to serve God in good works. And it's this maturity process that actually confirms our calling by God. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, I'm going to skip them for now, but that's what that reference really is. And I would have you just kind of look that up if you're not sure about how works confirm our calling by God. There's the passage, Second Peter 1, 5 through 10. Now, God gives us these spiritual gifts 
to aid us in this call to ministry. The Holy Spirit distributes them just as He wills, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we will probably get into this a little bit more as we read on down through chapter 4 here in talking about how He gives some of His apostles and prophets and talking about the difference between Holy Spirit gifts for the believer and Holy Spirit positions of authority or different responsibilities and callings within the framework of the Bride of Christ, the church. And we're going to talk a little bit about how the body is all supplying together and the whole, whole body is being fitted together and every joint supplies, verse 16 of chapter 4. We'll probably be going back and forth between Corinthians because Paul really outlines it very well there. Now, in case you didn't catch the implication of those two passages, 2 Peter 1 and 1 Corinthians 12, as I just summed them up, let me say this again. Part of our calling is to utilize the gifts that God has given us. He doesn't give us gifts so that they can sit in the closet. Oh, that's the pastor's job. That's the pastor's responsibility. He's, he's the evangelist, right? Oh, I'm not a gifted intercessor. How many times have I heard that? Make me nauseous. God doesn't say, I want you to pray always if you're an intercessor. He says, pray without ceasing, every one of you. Now, some people have a specific calling on their life where they find it easy. They're gifted in this arena of intercession, which is praying on behalf of someone else. They're putting themselves in position. So when someone is sick, they have an ailment, and, and, and there's, there's many people, you probably can think of some in this church, that have this sort of heart and passion and gift hours on end. They can labor in prayer, whether in English or in, in the Spirit, and they can just pray for that individual. That's a gift of intercession. That is not a requirement to praying always. <laughs> it's a help, sure. We are all required to pray, tithe, fast. When you pray, when you tithe, when you fast, right? Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and 6. So we have gifts. God does not want us to put them in the closet and ignore them. You know what we're not called to do as believers? Retire. Now, as a young whippersnapper, I'm going to very boldly say this to a group that is largely older than myself. Okay, with the exception of three in here, I think. <laughs> not that I'm judging you by your looks, okay? You might be younger than me, I don't know. We are not called to retire, to live the American dream, to save up a bunch of gifts and talents for God's kingdom, and then we get to this day where we just get to coast the rest. Well, I've done my work. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Now, are these things wrong in the physical, natural realm to save up money and relax in Cancun forever? No. I'm, I'm telling you, I'd like to go be a missionary in Hawaii too, okay? <laughs> I don't think that's in and of itself uh, is a wrong dream. God's got to be on it. He's got to be all over it. I haven't been released to do that yet. Thanks, Julie. Next week, we'll be talking about tithing. <laughs> <laughs> I want us to recognize that we have a spiritual responsibility and we have an earthly responsibility. 
Walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul's talking about something bigger than just the physical realm. He's not talking about, you know, you've got to have a certain kind of house as a Christian. You know, we hear people that go too far that way with it. They, they want to go out and sell all their positions or, or all their possessions and, you know, make all things equal. And we'll, we'll address that as we're talking about unity in the next few verses. But really, Paul's not talking about, I don't think, earthly things. He think he's talking about a, a, a spiritual calling on our life and a spiritual blessing. We are to stand out so significantly because of the name on which we're walking under spiritually in Christ Jesus that it begins to change the way we look in the physical realm. And that's what Paul is, is pointing us to, is that, is that when we get so filled with Christ Jesus, the things of earth don't even matter anymore. And so many people, so many Christians, unfortunately, I think, have it turned around the other way, is that, oh, well, you know, I, I've got to provide for my family, and, and I've got to, you know, save up some money in case the stock market crashes, and, and I've got to save up for retirement and all these things, and they're not wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But then you get to that point where, like, okay, well, now I've got more time for God. That's not how it should be. It should be, I'm on earth for this tiny little blink God, what can I do? Now, God, I pray that you would provide for me that I would be able to do those things you have equipped me for on earth so that I don't have to worry about feeding my family. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen after I get to an age where I can't work anymore physically. And then we do those things for God first and foremost. Fill yourself with Christ, and out of that filling and understanding of who you are, you begin to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, I had intended you know me, to get on down through verses 2 and 3, but we're going to stop there this morning. I'll just read them again, though, because it is a part of a continuous thought. It says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called in humility, in gentleness. We'll talk about is really the word meekness. Gentleness of spirit is what the implication is, and that's why many of your translations say it that way. With patience, so humility, meekness, patience, tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, so we will be focusing in on that in the weeks to come.